Welcome to the Common Grace Podcast, where we believe talking about faith doesn't actually have to feel awkward. I'm your host, Joshua Story, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. Uh, Grant Skeldon is the author of The Passion Generation, founder of the Initiative Network, and a member of the team over at Q Ideas. He's also one of the leading voices on Next Generation Ministry. In this episode, we talked to Grant about why millennials and Gen Z are leaving the church and how we better engage the next generation. I couldn't be more excited for you to listen to our conversation. So without further ado, here is our interview with Grant Skelton. So Grant, you know, you have really become uh, one of the leading voices for reaching the next generation um, in the church. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about evangelism and the next generation, because I think that a lot of people... Uh, look at this kind of seemingly mass exodus of young people from the church and they wonder like how on earth are we going to get them back you know what do we do do we throw these big parties do we throw events you know do we try to be as cool and relevant as we possibly can in your experience why are young people leaving the church at the rate that they are and how do we even begin to re-engage them yeah um i think the highest level, I mean, I would say maybe a lot of young people are leaving the church because the lack of angst um, in the Christian faith. There's a lot of desire in um, there's a lot of desire in the next generation to be a part of something bigger than themselves and to be a part of change or to uh, change the world and all that. And so I always think it's unfortunate that the most world changing entity in the world, the church is something that the most, I think, cause-oriented generation is not connecting with. Um, And so anyway, I think they're finding causes and they're finding other things to join, but unfortunately it's it's not the church. And one of my big questions I often ask parents for older generations is when they're parenting your kids, how often did your kids see how much the gospel inconvenienced your life for your Mm -hmm. neighbors, for people that don't look like you, for um, financially, like was the gospel something so compelling that it inconvenienced you for Uh, other people. And I found the young people with the strongest faith had parents that they got to see a role model of like, hey, I don't know if I always loved God or believed God or trusted God, but I could say my mom and my dad, like they would always be doing something that other parents weren't doing because they really wanted to love their neighbor or because they really wanted to, yeah, just express Christ's love in, in the world. And so anyway, I think wherever you see a lack of angst, at least for this generation, you're not going to see them involved. Mm. Dude, that's super good. I I read something that you wrote a while ago about the difference between being drawn to a cause and being drawn to like a cause community. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I get asked by a lot of non- nonprofit leaders because they'll hear me say something like that. And then and they'll say, so why like young people volunteer more? I'm always trying to get more young millennial or Gen Z volunteers. And I well, challenge churches, organizations, nonprofits. Um, I'd say you can't though, just because they have a more of a higher propensity than other generations towards causes doesn't mean that they only will join a cause by themselves. Unfortunately, and I, it's where I think our generation gets it wrong is that we tend to join causes when another, com- they're not just joining a cause, they're joining a community that's centered around a cause. And so they aren't just looking for a fight um, or something to believe in. They're also thinking look for a place to belong. And so uh, an example would be the ice bucket challenge. Um, I think <laughs> okay. every generation is kind of familiar with it. And what the ice bucket challenge did really well is it didn't just say, hey, give towards this. It created like a community experience 
for everyone. And unfortunately, once that community went away, because the cause didn't go away, the cause and the need is still there in ALS, right. but you don't see anybody else putting ice buckets in their head. And that's because the community <laughs> has gone away. Um, just like finding Coney in 2012 with that video. Um, like that was a, that was like a, what people call a movement. And uh, right. yeah, the young people, I don't like using the word movement because I do think the church is the only movement, but mm. I get the idea of young people, or I just think all people want to join the community that is a part of creating systemic change in the world. Um, and so, yeah, the ice bucket challenge, even, I mean, I know it's not a cause, but it's, it is a communal experience together. It's Pokemon Go. Um, that oh, yeah. was something a lot of young people like doing. And now Pokemon Go is, and, and I use all those examples is Pokemon Go is still around. It's actually a better app than it once was. Uh, ALS is still around. Uh, the Ice Bucket Challenge is still around. I mean, not, sorry, ALS is still around. Um, and even uh, the indent movement with putting an X on your hand, um, that has survived because they have a set date and a set time where mm -hmm. it's like together, let's do this cause. And so um, I would just challenge people of like, not just to ask young people to serve, but build a core community around that that cause and then add people to that community because uh, you tend to believe and you tend to do whatever is believed and whatever is done wherever you kind of belong. Yeah. What do you think that angst is that like younger generations desire, right? Because obviously there's a ton of different causes in the world. And I think as believers, you you open the scriptures and you realize that our God cares about so many things like his, his heart for the poor, his heart for those who are being oppressed, his heart for all these different issues that we still see play out in our own day and age. Where is the church yeah. missing this, this, this kind of angstiness that the younger generations are longing for? Where it comes from, I, I do think it's God given. And I think of uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, where uh, it talks about that God placed eternity in our hearts. And um, I think this desire for eternity, this desire to be a part of something that makes impact change um, that we are designed to run on, um, in my opinion, you only find the only eternal things in, in life is God and people. And they were the only things that will be here 10,000 years from now. Um, and whenever the church doesn't, I don't know, when the church is more of an event than it is a, a movement towards impacting the world, then they'll try to find something else that seems like a movement. Um, like a mirage of a movement, if you will, somewhere else. And that's what I think you see a lot of young people, some joining causes, some jo uh, starting businesses, some side hustle, um, something or anything uh, that can like create like an experience of I'm doing something that is making a difference. Because um, unfortunately, a lot of young people don't feel like they're making a difference by joining a church. They just feel like they're showing up to something regularly. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's convicting. Let me ask you this. So from an evangelism standpoint, um, I think that, you know, probably most recently we've kind of seen what would be considered like the missional movement in the church, where I think a lot of the tactics was like relevance, like let's be as relevant as we possibly can. Let's try, yeah. try to show like young people that we are, you know, cool and hip and trendy and, you know, uh, we're not, you know, out of touch or out of date. And while I feel like there has been some success in that, I think there's also a longing for authenticity, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, how do you feel like we actually begin to, from an evangelistic standpoint, how do we begin to reach those? Uh, because it feels like the whole relevance thing isn't quite working the way that people thought it would. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'll be honest, that I think I've experienced uh, some of the pitfalls of trying to make the gospel relevant rather than uh, just 
being bold in the gospel and mm. knowing that trusting that it is relevant, um, no matter what season or circumstances we find ourselves in, in the world. Um, I do think, I mean, I get, I feel like the church of the generation before us tried to make the church a more comfortable, just good place to be. Like, I think, mm. uh, it's where like youth ministries became a high priority and kids ministry. And like, how do we get families like the family church? design started becoming way more important. Um, and I think uh, young, we're starting to lose young people. And, and so I think my generation, our generation is really focused on, yeah, how do we make the gospel cool or relevant, like you're saying? And um, I actually had a Gen Z person kind of challenge um, some of my young millennial leaders. We we're all together at a retreat and they were saying, we, I feel like you guys, yeah, you focus so much on trying to make Christianity cool, but there's just parts of Christianity that just aren't cool. They're actually <laughs> offensive. Like they yeah. literally are offensive to the culture. And and I think um, I work for an organization now called Q, um, which is led by Gabe Lyons. And it's all about faith and culture. And how do we, how do we as Christians, not just um, critique culture or copy culture, but how do we create culture and form in good faith, like redeem culture in a lot of ways. And uh, one of the areas he's challenged me and challenged me to also encourage these group of young influencers that God's entrusted me to is he's like, you know, your generation is going to have to stand for things, say things that they know, especially in a cancel culture will potentially cancel them. Um, mm. And there's this, he said, there's going to be this temptation where you think, well, God, I, God uses me through my influence in my platform. And so I can't say something on his behalf that like cancels my platform. Cause then how am I going to continue to influence for God? And he, he's like, that is a lie. Like uh, he gave you the platform so that you can say these things. And, and even if you get canceled by the culture, like there's just no way to perfectly make that dance where you don't get some way canceled or critiqued. Um, and I feel he's like, I feel like sometimes your generation wants to be the most influential Christians that are loved by lost people. But if you really look at what you're saying, you're never saying anything that you know they need to hear and you even truly sincerely believe. Um, and so I will be honest that even I'm wrestling through um, that is like when it comes to where does God stand on certain issues in the world, but also um, I'm learning how, and, and even I think lots of people that are younger appreciate is how do I even be more bold when it comes to evangelism and being like, bro, like we're not on the same page on this. And this is kind of what you believe. This is what I believe. And this is what is the outcome in my, my opinion. Um, and I think that that's actually, I'm realizing it's not as scary or it doesn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I get canceled by my friends that I'm trying to evangelize to as much as I thought. Cause yeah, a lot of the friendship evangelism has probably come out of younger leaders. Mm -hmm. And, um, I do think it can work in some ways, but I do think, um, I don't know. I had a friend, I had an older mentor. He said, I feel like sometimes your generation, like they're the best salesmen. Like they're so good at trying to sell how cool and how relatable and how much they need this except like in the sense of making it look like a really good product, but they never asked, do you want to buy this? And I, I think that that's uh, really kind of convicted me where I'm like, yeah, he's right. We kind of just hope it will organically happen rather than that we will strategically uh, kind of put a line in the sand and say, hey, and it's not like a either yes or no, you're in or you're out. It's more of a, I want to check in regularly and keep trying to sell you this because I really believe um, I want to persuade you, like Paul said, because I really believe in the eternal impact and the good of your soul um, that the gospel has. I remember I was talking to my grandma a few years ago, and she was like, help me understand why your generation doesn't do altar calls anymore. And I remember thinking, well, 
there could be an argument made that, you know, altar calls can be manipulative. Altar calls could be, you know, any num number of reasons why we don't typically do altar calls anymore. But I was thinking about it. You're at there's a level of like, we don't explicitly say, hey, do you want this? Like we can market yeah. it and talk about it. But but to actually say, here's your opportunity to quote unquote, buy the product, if you will. That's such a crass yeah. way of saying it. But the yeah. like that sense of here is the gospel. Do you actually want it? Do you do you want what Jesus has has yeah. to offer? Really is a lost art in our generation, I feel like. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and, and I used to probably be someone that would appreciate maybe not doing altar calls as much because it's maybe considered again, old school and all that, but I, maybe because I'm getting older, I don't know. Some of the, <laughs> the old school or traditional things are traditional or classic things because they work like uh, confess started getting into devotionals, maybe like a year ago. And I've always yeah. felt like I also didn't grow up in the church. And so when I, a lot of the churchy things I didn't like, and so devotionals to me just came off like that's something a grandma does by the side of her bed, like <laughs> in a rocking chair. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize like no devotionals are like so important. Like they are so popular and uh, classic type of uh, expressions of faith because like they work is having yeah. a set plan for time with God every day um, so, is a way better than just opening your Bible randomly every day. It hopefully if you do even do that and yeah. just reading a little bit randomly like that. Uh, yeah, there's a reason that there are uh, devotionals. And so, yeah, anyway, I think I'm now a believer in altar call, maybe not every week, but uh, yeah, if you're, I would 10 years ago be like, not that worried. And now I'd be like, man, what a, what a miss. And I do think there's a way to coach in an altar calls where you're like, it's not the coming here practically physically up here at the altar. It's, it's the decision that's leading you to publicize your faith and say, I want it. I want this enough to come up here and, um, yeah, and I mean, we want to guide you through what the next steps look like. Um, yeah, it does help even in discipleship once you actually have seen someone make a decision rather than yeah. organically hoping they're going to just figure out discipleship. Because as you probably know, if you know anything about me, I do think a big part of the issue with our generation is not um, that like just millennials are bad or that Gen Z is bad. I think that we have a really bad discipleship model in the church. And so uh, that is, I think, the heart of the problem for whatever generation comes next, as long as discipleship is neglected you'll see a very immature uh generation coming yeah. up totally so let's let's talk about that for a second because i've heard you say in the past that we don't have a millennial problem we have a discipleship problem um yeah expound on that and kind of help people understand why discipleship is so important to reaching and maintaining relationships with the next generation yeah um a couple of things is why it's important well, why it's important is when Jesus literally did it for most of his ministry, we really right. don't even know what Jesus was doing until he started making disciples. So that was mm -hmm. the beginning of his ministry. It was at the end of his ministry. Um, literally the end of his ministry was coming back to his disciples, not to uh, just to tell them literally his first words when he comes back is go and make disciples. And so, yeah. I mean, it's what he did to start his ministry. It's how he ended his ministry it's really why we even have people in ministry i mean if you look at there's not a lot of books in the bible that are written by the thousands of people that saw him preach um uh they're all influenced written by or influenced by the, the disciples and so um to me we wouldn't if jesus did everything we know him to do like walk on water heal people die for our sins raise himself from the grave on our behalf if he did all those things that we know in the scriptures, but he didn't disciple 12 guys for three years, um, I honestly 
don't know if we'd be here today because uh, mm. he would have done all those things and we would have had salvation um, accessible to us. We just wouldn't have anyone to tell us about it or disciples of people <laughs> right. that would eventually tell us about it. Yeah, um, totally. So I think uh, in the church today, one of the problems when I say we have a discipleship problem is we too over glorify uh, the gift of speaking and we under glorify the gift of disciple making. Mm. Um, as long as you're a good speaker and a good leader, uh, in a good visionary, you tend to get way more applaud platform opportunities um, than the people that make disciples who make disciples. And so um, I think that scorecard is going to really hurt us in the long run. It has been hurting us. The millennials are the first generation where we're seeing this. This is the millennials are a byproduct of decades and decades of neglect of discipleship. Uh, if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, um, I would say we're seeing the impact or the cost of non-discipleship. That is the next next generation. So when older people are so frustrated with our generation or so disappointed <laughs> by our generation or so right. concerned and in fear for the future of the next generation, I would say you're just simply seeing the cost of non-discipleship. Mm. Um, again, we have a don't have a millennial problem or a Gen Z problem. We have a discipleship problem. And then why I think it's important is a couple of practical reasons. One, um, the most mature, high caliber young Christian leaders, especially in their early 20s that I've ever seen, like when they're just unbelievably mature and they're like 22, unbelievably successful and like maybe started a nonprofit, started some writing at a really young age, speaking already, like traveling the country. And they're only like 23, 24, 25, 100% of the time. I've never met a young 20 something, early 20 something that has a national platform, voice, author, whatever, uh, that didn't have unique mentors or disciplers in their life at a young age. Mm. Um, they've never, with their own wisdom, their own finances, their own connections, got to where they are. They always, I mean, I often ask them, like, who discipled you and mentored you, gave you your first shot, start, like, who's walking with you today? And they always, like, name several people, usually not even just one person, but several people that helped them get where they are today. And so when I see the common denominator among the most high caliber young Christian leaders across the country all have a common denominator of some mentor or someone who discipled them, and then I see Jesus, and then he did it. And then I see Jesus come back and say, go and make disciples. Then I think, and his last words should be our first priority. Mm, dude, that's really, really good. So one of the things that I hear people say often when we talk about discipleship is like, dude, I don't understand next generation. I don't do TikTok. I don't do Instagram. I don't do all, all that stuff. So because I don't understand the next generation, I can't disciple the next generation. What do you say to guys who might see problems and might even identify yeah i agree there is a discipleship problem but i don't feel equipped or even anywhere ready to disciple somebody how do you speak into that yeah. like yeah yeah that's good i mean i would ask them do you feel like you're spiritually one or two steps ahead than most young people you see in the next generation um even though you don't know tiktok or you don't <laughs> know all the like the trends and i feel like they would say yes i or, or, I mean, to say it very crass, is like, do you feel like the next generation is more spiritually mature than you are? Mm. I highly doubt they're going to say yes to that question. Right. And so I'm like, so you feel like you're more spiritually mature or you're a few steps ahead. I'm just reminding them, discipleship is not come and eat with me. That's mentorship, in my opinion, which is still mm. good. But discipleship is come and follow me. And so the great thing about it is you just meant, you just acknowledged you're just a couple steps ahead. You're probably tons of steps ahead spiritually than some of these young people. So you do have, you are equipped, like you may not be Billy Graham or Tony Evans or Matt Chandler or John Piper, whoever you want to name, Louis Giglio, like 
Um, but you are spiritually a step ahead than many of the young people that you come in contact with. And mm -hmm. so uh, I just want to remind you what Paul said. Um, Paul didn't say, follow me because I'm like Christ. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that you're the end goal. You're just saying, I'm, I'm steps ahead of you. So follow me as I also follow Christ. And they're not expecting you to be perfect. Um, they don't need you to be right. They just need to be real. And I think uh, having a real faith where you're like, hey, I'm not there yet, but I am, I do, I have learned some lessons, even some the hard way that I'd, I'd like to share with you. I think, uh, I mean, I can't name many, many young people that have been where it's like, it's far too rare that a young person is pursued by an older person to be discipled. But dude, in a fatherless, divorced, heavy, uh, mentorless, uh, unbelievably difficult and divisive culture that this generation is growing up in, how strong and how unforgettable would it be uh, if an older man or older woman said, hey, I've kind of noticed you and I've noticed you have a hunger in you. I've noticed you honor and respect to older people. I've noticed you showing up at church regularly or maybe they're not. Maybe maybe literally they're lost, but they just have an unbelievably good work ethic and they do want to be better than the family that they grew up in. That, I mean, if you really think about it, Jesus, I think, used discipleship as an evangelistic strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. We often make it like, it's evangelism, then discipleship. But I think Jesus started with discipleship that turned into evangelism. Like they really respected Jesus and were willing to follow him and faith and salvation came along the way, my personal opinion. Yeah. Dude, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even if you just look at Peter, right? Like how long had he been following Christ before he actually voiced, you are the Messiah? Like you are. exactly. Yeah. And I think that was the moment for, for Peter specifically was when, when he said, who do you think I am? Um, who do you say I am? And he says that. Um, and when Jesus says only the Holy Spirit could have told you that. So I, yeah. I feel like that was a big salvation moment for Peter. I don't know, man, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, I think discipleship, the great thing in another area where like the church could do so well because of the unique circumstances of this generation is this generation is dying for a cause, name a bigger cause in the church and the gospel through the church. They're dying for a place to belong, name a community that, takes you as you are doesn't ever leave you there because they love you too much to leave you there but mm, takes you as you are good. and loves you as you become far better than you ever thought you could be and then name a, a organization uh that is designed around like learning lessons and then pouring that into the next generation or in old testament it's like giving a double portion you got a generation that's dying for mentorship and that's statistically like even business journal found that you, this generation is designed mentorship more than generations before and so what organization literally is designed around mentorship and discipleship their whole the whole mission of the great commission is go and make disciples and so yeah. i sometimes it saddens me that i'm like everything that the next generation is hungry for is everything that church is designed to do mm -hmm. we just aren't really doing it and then we're and it's such a miss and because of that we're not getting this generation the world is yeah dude that's really good man i hope that anyone listening that feels a sense of discouragement when they look at the next generation and they're thinking man how do we get them back uh can kind of rest easy knowing okay it's, it's actually a lot more simple go back to what christ actually called us to do which is just disciple let me ask you this. So you mentioned you just started working for Q um, and uh, you guys have something really cool coming up because whether people know it or not, there's this little thing called the election coming up and it's been uh, d definitely a crazy interesting year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, y'all are doing uh, a post-election roundtable, right? Yeah. 
cool. Yeah, tell yeah. us about that. So we'll be we'll be in Nashville, Tennessee on November 11th and 12th. It's actually two days before I get married. Um, nice. We will be doing. Uh, yeah, and we're just going to have a post-election in-person gathering for about 100, maybe 200 uh, pastors from across the country. And it'll be televised as well or like put online uh, for anyone to watch live at that, at that moment as well. But uh, what I'm excited about is, yeah, that it is an in-person gathering. It is a very timely gathering. Um, and that, yeah, there, Matt Chandler will be there. Jenny Allen will be there. Annie Downs, um, Christine Kane, John. John Mark Comer, John Tyson, um, it's Gabe Lyons, of course, like this unique group. And we're all speaking about, I mean, like I know Eugene Cho is sharing on like civil unrest. There mm. most likely will be civil unrest uh, days yeah, after the totally. election, if not months after the election. So what do we as Christians do about that? Um, me, Sadie Robertson and a girl named Gabrielle Odom, we'll talk about Gen Z because that really is the next generation at this point. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's going to be conversation on race, of course, and repair. There are going to be conversations on mental health. Uh, Rebecca Lyons, who wrote a bestseller on that book, uh, on that topic, will be uh, speaking on that. But uh, talking about, I think it's eight different topics that we think are very, very crucial going forward. Um, that I, what I do love about Q is they, uh, they do things at circle tables, so it's very uh, conversational, as mm -hmm. well as um, this is the first time Q is kind of notorious for doing short messages. Like literally, I don't know how, but they'd get like Tim Keller to fly down to do an eight minute message or <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell or Jim Collins or all these different leaders that do eight minutes. It's insane. This is different. This is going to be an hour and a half. Like it's wow. going to be, or I think it's 45 minutes to an hour where it's 30 minutes of conversation and then 30 minutes of Q and A from the audience asking questions. And it's like just answering back to the audience. And so um, this is why it's kind of a play on words where it's called Q and A. Um, by, gotcha. done by Q. And so the, I think the website is Q ideas slash QA. Cool. Dude, that's incredible, man. I feel like we are living in a place where as believers, there are so many different questions of how do we navigate the culture around us? How do we maintain the unity and the oneness of the church that Christ prayed for us for, you know, back in the garden? Uh, Cause it, yeah, there's just so much division in the world. And so, man, I'm excited that y'all are doing that because I think it's going to be a blessing to a lot of folks. But Definitely, man, definitely. And if you guys want to use the code, uh, I have a code to get 10% off on either of them. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Skeldon10, basically. Skeldon10. It's one word, Skeldon10, my last name. Cool. cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking time in. I, uh, I think this is really helpful for anyone who's trying to reach uh, millennials or Gen Z are trying to figure out how on earth do we reach the generation that just tends to be uh, walking out out of our doors. Um, so, man, I really, really do appreciate you uh, taking time and uh, sure. good luck on the Q&A and congrats on getting married and Thank everything, you, man. man. That's huge. Appreciate it, Josh. See you, bro. Thanks, dude. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Grant Skeldon. And if you're a pastor, a church leader, or just someone who cares about the next generation, I also hope that it brought a sense of both comfort and challenge. Um, because I fully believe that the future of the church is bright. And hopefully today's conversation was a helpful resource in reaching the next generation wherever you are. If you liked what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe or rate the podcast. Believe it or not, it really does go a long way. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.